Well, it's great to welcome Aaron and Meredith serving in Africa uh, among a Muslim people group to the podcast, The Vine Conversations. And it's um, so good for me to see you guys and for us as a church to hear you guys. I know that um, this has been a trying time for you guys, especially this summer. Um, can you just paint a picture for what quarantine life means where you guys are and uh, just help us understand the trial you guys have endured where you are in terms of coronavirus. Yes, yeah, Zach, thanks for, for having us today, too. It's great to see you, like you said. Uh, basically, where we're at, uh, they, they closed everything down in mid-March. And what that entails was uh, in order to leave the house, you had to have a special permission slip from the government. Uh, it was only for myself. I was the only one able to leave the house. And that was just for um, getting groceries and, and necessary items. So from March until June, Meredith and the kids uh, were in our house. They, they didn't leave the front door for three months. And um, we had uh, Nathan's, one of our kids' teachers, uh, living with us for a few of those months. It was great um, having another adult in the house with us and someone to interact with our kids. Um, and so that was, that was the, the strictest lockdown. And then in June, things lifted a little bit, and we were all able to, to go outside of the home. Um, and there, there have been intermittent periods of uh, being able to leave our city, um, and other periods where we were confined to our city and, and unable to leave uh, just because of regional lockdowns. So Meredith, like, how did that, I mean, you were like house arrest. <laughs> uh, what did that do to you emotionally? Like, just paint that picture for us. And yeah, how did you survive um, that? You know, it was one of those things where if someone had told me ahead of time, that I would have been locked in my house for three months. Um, I would have thought that I would have gone crazy. Right. Um, but um, I don't know. God was so faithful. And I don't mean to paint this overly rosy, optimistic picture, but um, there were definitely some days of struggle. But overall, um, the Lord just provided grace upon grace. Um, I feel like our family got along really well during that time. Um, we had to kind of readjust our schedule and make sure that everyone could find a spot in the house to be by themselves or be alone when they needed it. Um, Interesting. We really, had, we really had to work on communication. So just saying, um, I need a break right now. I'm going to go into my room and close the door. Yep. Um, or some of our kids, we had to help them like verbalize those things so that we could love and respect them and what they were going through. Um, so there were days or maybe like a week or two where it was really difficult, but overall it was not as bad as I would have thought that it would have been. So. Did you find yourself like longing to do something different or were you just kind of, ah, just, yeah. just kind of what we have? Like, what did you really miss? Like what, what, what um, do you remember like longing to do? I really miss just going outside. Um, <laughs> Like the first day that we were allowed out was towards the end of June. And um, we just went for a walk, we took our dog for a walk, all of the kids and us. <laughs> it just felt like this marvelous freedom to be able to take a walk around the block. Um, I don't know. I missed 
the mundane things like being able to go to the grocery store. Um, I really miss seeing my close friends um, because here you really communicate love and value by spending time with people. So I really miss um, seeing the people that I loved here uh, for such a long time. Yeah. But you guys have like a, did you have um like a, a terrace or mm-hmm. like the roof of your house is yeah. open air, like kids play up there. Is that still how that works? Yeah. So the, we do have um, like a rooftop patio. Um, it's not that big, but it's big enough. Um, so we would play four square on there with the kids yes. during the lockdown. Or we have um, basically a small driveway that we could also play in. So we like strung up hammocks outside and um, just really tried to take advantage of the space we had. So, yeah, I I know just through some conversations we've had and correspondence we've had that like uh, this has been just really challenging for your guys, a sense of calling in general Mm -hmm. to reach people with the Mm -hmm. gospel and, and do church planting like help us understand that mindset as well. And some of those challenges. Yeah. I think some of the challenges uh, related to that um, one kind of basic platform work, you know, the, the work that I do for my nine to five uh, that gives us our reason for being here. um, That, that was closed down because everything was uh, in lockdown uh, and then in, in late June, when things reopened, uh, we opened uh, a few weeks after that. But so many of uh, the clients that, that, we, that we serve uh, were still afraid of the virus or had, had left the city and, and went to the countryside um, because of uh, having less people around. It was cheaper to live there. You know, nothing going on in the city, no reason to be here. And so even once, once our business was back open, um, we didn't have people to work with. Um, and then from from a ministry perspective, um, like Meredith kind of alluded to, so much of your, your time is spent face-to-face here. And so um, trying to figure out the rhythm of how to go about reestablishing that with people. Uh, we had some friends who were wanting to be really cautious and not, not go to the cafes or not go out to, to spend time with other people. They were staying very close to home. Um, and even then when you went out, it was, it was just kind of unsettling. I mean, after you've been in your house for three months, you go out and how, how are we supposed to feel? How do we do this? How, how do we be wise? Mm-hmm. Um, because the healthcare system here is very limited. Um, and so while we weren't living in fear, we wanted to be wise and take appropriate precautions. Right. Um, and so just trying to balance all those things out. So I'm curious in the country where you guys are and not even the country, let's just say the city where you guys live, what would you say is the general attitude towards the pandemic? Cause like in the United States, it's obviously a huge country of, you know, 330 million people. Um, but you know, you've got, or I'll just say our city in Madison for the most part, everyone takes it pretty seriously and mask, um, indoors at all times and but you know there's people that just think it's you know just it's way overblown and um so everybody has an opinion um and i would say it's pretty diverse here um in the united states for sure 
what is it like where you guys are? I, I think it's actually very similar to the States. You have some people who take it very, very seriously. They're very cautious. Um, you have a fair amount of people who are middle of the road. So they'll see friends and socialize, but only outside. And they mm -hmm. try to maintain somewhat of a distance. Um, and then you have others who think it's a total conspiracy theory and it's not real. Right. Um, people in our city are wearing masks, but only because there's a fine if you're caught not wearing one. So if there are no police around, a lot of people will not wear a mask. Um, okay. Chin masks. Yeah. Wear them over their chin. Yeah, it's just... The chin mask, it. right, yes. It's yeah. like signaling that I'm taking this seriously, but I'm not taking it serious enough to put it on. Right. It's like a gesture just, of solidarity or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, too. Maybe not funny, but um, we had a, a pretty large outbreak um, here in town among a, a, a factory sec uh, section of town where the factories are. And several hundred people were diagnosed within a two-day period. And there was a sense of fear among a lot of people that we spoke with. And sure. so I think during that time period, everybody was wearing a mask yep. uh, in their cars, you know, and then after that, as the case count went down, um, kind of returned to uh, mixed compliance. Were there people in your sphere of relationships that got really sick or passed away? Um, I've known a few people who have gotten who have had the virus. We don't know anyone that's passed away from it personally, yeah. although a few people in our city have. Yeah. So it hasn't been like a, something that's like rabid, like some of our relationships in Ecuador, the cities mm -hmm. down there um, have been ravaged for not anymore, but there was a period of a few weeks, um, but it hasn't been like that where you guys live in your city. Mm -mm. No. no, that's good. No. That's good. Well, uh, man, it's, it's been uh, such a bizarre summer for you guys, and, and I, I miss you because we were supposed to come see you uh, <laughs> this fall, and that's not happening, obviously, um, but God willing, that will happen here in the coming months. Who knows what will happen, obviously, but I want to just turn to talk about your life more in general and just help more and more people that are listening to this podcast understand um, what it is you guys are doing, why you're doing it. Um, and I'd love to ask this question. What's the one thing that you wish people understood about your lives that you think they probably don't? Man, that's a good question. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, um, I think, and I mean, I've, Meredith and I are, are just like any other member of your church there at the, at the Vine. Um, we're two sinners saved by grace, uh, wanting to, to follow after Jesus and to love him more, uh, wanting to, to encourage one another into that and to lead our kids into that as well. Um, and living here, um, we have to choose uh, on, a, on a daily and sometimes hourly basis to really um, be faithful, to pursue opportunities uh, to share truth, um, we have to be really intentional to to consistently be praying for the people that we're living around. Um, it's so easy to be lulled into life 
right? Into doing the the day to day things, mm-hmm. and I think just like like Aaron Madison, you have to um, be be going in prayer and 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 looking for opportunities to to love your neighbors, right? How can I how can I speak and share about this amazing God who loves people around me, who who don't 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 know Him, right? Right, and being intentional. So maybe it's like most people might assume that because you guys are where you are and and you're a church planter or a missionary or um, or a worker or whatever, that you just like are abounding with evangelistic fervor and joy and it's just effortless for you. But no, it's actually just like it is for me where I have to still be intentional. And even though I have the label of, it'd be like for me, like, People just assume that I like know the Bible backwards and forwards and it's like, no, I actually have to just read it every day and think about it and <laughs> the sermons don't just come out of nowhere, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it takes intentional effort. Um, it's not just like some magical thing, but that being said, you guys are, you guys do have gift. That's not to say that we don't all have different giftings, but would that be a good way to kind of say it, Aaron? Like just... Like you have to be intentional like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say, Meredith? Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that a lot of my um, friends or family who have had the opportunity to come and see us here, have been really surprised at how warm and welcoming our friends are here, our local friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes just because it's a Muslim country, Arab population, that there comes with that a bit of a stereotype. Um, And the people that we know here by and large are just so amazingly hospitable and warm and um, they have really challenged my notions of what it means to be hospitable. Um, and, and so I think that that's one thing that is probably really different than what most people imagine is just um, the people that we live with here. They will bend over backwards to help you when you're in need. They think nothing of sacrificing time or money or possessions to help you. Um, and it, it's actually a really beautiful reflection of the gospel um, that I think shines forth in this culture in a way that our our own American culture doesn't quite reflect. Yep. Yeah, especially for us being the foreigners, uh, the people that, that don't speak just the right way and don't always have the right words, frequently don't have the right words, they don't know the cultural cues and what's normal and what's not. I mean, there's so much grace extended to us. Uh, and I, I have found myself as I've lived here thinking about um, when I was in the U.S., would I have extended the same grace to a foreigner right. that would have come across in Albuquerque? Right. Right. And, right. and the answer is not at all. Like, I would have hoped to. But like Meredith said, just uh, really learning a lot from from the people here. Well, I'm sure it's like a compliment for them that you guys have made the effort to learn their language. And, um, I don't know, I know in other parts of the world where I've traveled, you know, Americans have the stereotype of just being like arrogant and like, we know it all and we're rich and how come you don't just adjust to me? Oh, you don't speak English. What's your problem? You know, like, I think we have that stereotype, but, um, 
I would imagine that you just making the effort to meet them on their terms, they would view as a compliment. Do you think that's true? I think it goes a long way. Um, I think also just realistically, because our city is so small, if we didn't speak Arabic, it would be very, very hard to just view our daily life. It would be hard Impossible, to go to the Impossible, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, definitely sharing the gospel would be near impossible. So, yeah, having having kids who speak the the local language and yeah. who have uh, friends uh, here and, and they do activities, you know, with with kids in the community, I think all of that really communicates to the society mm-hmm. around us that um, we call this place home. And, and um, yeah, yeah, that's one of the I things feel I think honored is by that. one of the things I think is so cool for what you guys have done is what. Um, it produces in your kids. I mean, to have kids that are trilingual um, will make them such cool adults. You know, it's, <laughs> I mean, for real, like, it's just so cool. So cool. And I know it hasn't been easy, and you guys have made a lot of sacrifices. Um, but I, I think about that as a, as a huge benefit. Let me ask this, though, especially in light of your kids. You know, you guys moved, what was it? You moved for good like four years ago? Five years ago, yeah. Man, that's gone fast. My goodness. Yeah. Um, so and your kids were even smaller then. Mm-hmm. Um how did because whenever this comes up in conversation with people and I talk about me going over to see you guys, taking teams over to see you guys, or just what you guys are doing in general, almost always the the thought is, is it safe? And the question comes, is it safe? And you already kind of talked about that, but how did you guys, before you moved, how did you guys think through safety? Like, can you quantify safety? Like, well, this would be too dangerous and I'm looking for A, B, and C to kind of make sense of whether I would do that or not. This, what we observe right now seems safe. Um, How did you guys think about that? And yeah, how would you how to help us understand that? Do you remember that as part of your process? You know, I think the um, the good answer <laughs> is safety is an illusion, mm-hmm. right? It's safety is saying that I can choose what is um, where I have enough control to make sure that I and my loved ones will be okay. And the reality is that's that's just that's a um, it's a self self perpetuated idea. It's a self conceived idea. Uh, I'm I'm no less safe where we are now than I would be if I were in the states because the same God who is sovereign over every sparrow that falls to the earth is sovereign over uh, the day of every day of my life and the day that the time that I'll die. Right. Preach. So Preach it. it's really. Um, entrusting ourselves to to a good and faithful and kind father mm-hmm. now that being said uh, even now like we we know people who are living in other parts of the world and meredith and i'll be reading an update from some of our friends and i'll be like man i i don't know how they live there like i don't <laughs> i don't think i could take our family there it just seems so crazy so I, I do think there is an element there where where god gives um uh faith god gives um strength god gives uh, a process of sanctification and teaching uh, from local churches to lead his people to where he wants them to be. Have there been times when you felt unsafe? 
there have been times where we felt um, more guarded. Um, there, there have been multiple uh, terrorist cells broken up in our city, um, some near um, areas where either our kids are going to school or where we work, um, but never, never seriously. I mean, just kind of being cautious for, for the next week or two, making sure that we're varying our routines and being cautious. Yeah, and I can hear someone hearing you say that and be like, a terrorist cell? Like that doesn't sound safe, but, but then I would say like, but how do we know that's not happening here? Um, and it may very well be happening and we just don't know about it. Um, and it's not like that's something that you guys are dealing with every, you know, every other week or something. Um, no, yeah. I mean, it's happened three, four times in five years. So yeah, um, you know, one thing that we were given advice on when we first moved here is um, when something is going on, ask your local friends um, because they care for you. They want to make sure that you're safe. And so if they feel like you're in danger, they're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been a few terrorists, um, not attacks, but incidents since we've lived here that some of my local friends have said um meredith please don't go out right now without aaron or please don't take the children to the market it's not safe for you and then there have been other times where i asked them so they just caught these four guys in this area of our city and they're like no you're fine it's totally fine go out don't worry about it so we really rely pretty heavily on the advice of our local friends, mm-hmm. trusting that they have a good read on what's going on and um, they understand the culture and the system much better than we do. Yeah, I think too, Zach, you know, we live in a pretty small city or a smaller city and, and there's not a lot of tourism here. There's not a lot of Westerners. Um, there's, there's no um, what we call big, easy, soft targets. So I think in a lot of ways, there's a... a I don't feel like there's a, a lot of increased risk just because of where we're living. Um, we traveled uh, to London for, for a trip uh, a couple of years ago. And I felt really uneasy uh, being in these places that were just full of tourists. Yep. They were, you know, these famous landmarks. And I felt, I felt much, much uh, less at ease there than I do here in our city. Yeah. It's interesting. Like it's all just, um, now, of course there's ways that you can jump off a bridge and ask God to catch you. Right. And, my my thought is like you could go to any major city or even a medium-sized city in the world and there's ways to be wise and there's ways to be stupid right mm-hmm. you can find trouble if you're going to look for it yeah but i mean there was drive-by shootings two blocks from my house you know so it's like that hasn't happened to you guys in 5 years mm-hmm. um and i mean that happened at our current house and the house where we used to live um, you know, three or four years ago, just drive by shooting. And I, and if you ask me, do I feel safe? I would say, yeah, I feel safe. Mm-hmm. Have it been times when I feel unsafe? Um, not really, but it just, it's like, what are you measuring? I think is a key question. And it's just funny how I think we look at what you guys are doing. And the first thing people think of is like, well, is it safe? And I just want to, A, I want to say, like, 
where in the Bible, if you're just reading the Bible and see what he calls people to, do you see, is it safe as like a primary question we should be asking when it comes to how I use my life to glorify God? And it's like, I just don't find it. Yeah. Um, And I would say instead of that, we see over and over God calling us to not be afraid because of the knowledge that he is with us. Mm -hmm. And that's what should sustain us. Yep. Amen. Or give us confidence. So, yeah. And really, really holding on to those promises. um, I mean, like if, if what we really believe is true, then we should be able to confidently say with Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Like if he were to call us home in some, for how, however he did it, you know, tonight, um, man, it's going to be great. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. So if you guys were, you know, imagine maybe at some point in your life, you guys are moving back to the States. Um, and you're a member of a local church here. What would you guys do to seek to stir up a culture of sending to engage the unengaged, how would you seek to participate in that culture um, growing and expanding in, in a local church? I think um, for my, my personal uh, walk or my experience and what I've heard from friends um, who are supporting us now, um, really coming to understand um, God deserves to be worshiped among every tribe, language, tongue, nation, people, right? And that he's not. And in a lot of places he's blasphemed. And so um, having a really good theological grasp and hearing that that drumbeat of, of Christ being exalted, God being glorified among the nations, truth being proclaimed, um, and, and dwelling on that, meditating on that, praying, God, magnify yourself, glorify yourself, lift up your son, uh, that he would be exalted as you have exalted him at your right hand. Because um, I think the more, the more you think on truth and the more you dwell on it, the more your heart desires to see it take place. And so I transfer that to, to a local church. Make sure, make sure that that vision of God's glory is being proclaimed and, and, and put in a high place. Because when that's, when that's viewed properly, everything just falls into place behind that, mm-hmm. right? And so, so I think secondarily, um, having knowledge and praying, being aware of um, places where that's not true, where God isn't glorified, so that, so that your heart would be broken uh, for these places where there is no gospel witness, where there is no church that's, that's active. Um, so that you would, you would pray, you would intercede, you would ask that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers mm-hmm. uh, and people to proclaim, to, to speak the truth. Yeah. Um, so it's teaching, it's praying. Yeah. How did, how did you guys paint that picture for us? I mean, it's a long story, but maybe uh, a shorter version of just like, you guys are living in Albuquerque and, you know, physical therapy and Meredith, were you working outside the home? Uh, I was for a while. 
Okay, yeah. so you guys just have jobs. You have a, a kid or two, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, you're living in a Muslim country in Africa. Yeah, it just happened. It we'll, just happened, we'll right? You just blazed. We'll but like, <laughs> paint the, paint the picture of that journey. Like, what did that journey look like? Because I assume, like, when you were, you know, a teenager, you didn't think oh, this is my dream, or maybe you did. Um, but how did that happen? Cause I think there's just so many people that think, well, I could never do that. And we just want to say like, well, maybe you could, it's not that, I mean, you guys are amazing, but it's not like you guys are super Christians that, um, are doing these things that are just impossible for anybody else. Right. So, so I think telling that story can, can help a little bit. Um, I think part of our journey to moving overseas where we are now is Aaron and I actually met well, um, when, <laughs> when we were single, um, <laughs> obviously. Uh, we met when we were both working overseas um, as missionaries. And um, so that has kind of been part of the DNA of our relationship since the beginning. Um, when we got married, I was ready to head back overseas the day after the wedding. Um, but Aaron was getting ready to go to PT school and had a lot of years of education work ahead of him. So it was really on the back burner for about 10 years. And we were working, we were starting a family, um, but we just kept praying I I kept praying that whole time that if if God wanted me back overseas in this capacity that he would provide a way and that he would move in Aaron's heart also just to get us on the same page and um, eventually we just started working with our local church being involved in the missions work that they were doing and the more we got involved in um, supporting that work and helping plan for it, I feel like God really used that to draw us back into doing the work ourselves. So Aaron ended up taking a vision trip to the country that we're in now. And you should tell that part of the story. Yeah, so uh, three years into our marriage, I came over here uh, with our missions pastor. And um, we were trying to establish a uh, uh, relationship between our, our sending church in Albuquerque and um, the organization that we're serving with now in our country. And so we came to meet with uh, the country leader and to kind of see some of the country and, and to meet other people on the ground here. And um, there was there was one one point in particular where we, we were in a city and there was a person there who had a, ther- a physical therapy clinic uh, working with disabled children. And I was just standing in the doorway watching this this foreigner um, who was providing medical care for these kids who wouldn't have access to it otherwise and being overwhelmed with this um, sense of um, awe and humility that this thing that I've been working to study in school to have this profession of physical therapy is the very thing that, that I God will allow me to use uh, for our family to live in this closed access country. And it's something that can bless and love in very real ways, the community 
uh, with whom we're living um, and give us, um, again, the opportunity to be here so that we can um, participate in, in church planning activities, right? And, and working with local believers uh, to see them grow in maturity in Christ and, and working and praying that God would add to their numbers as well to, to grow the church in size. Um, so just having that, that moment of clarity and like conviction in the heart, like, wow, this is here. I mean, I, I could totally, to, totally do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we w- came back from that trip and uh, kind of shared with Meredith and she was really excited because again, she's been praying. Was that the trip? That, that's not the trip I was on. This was with mm-hmm. the missions pastor from the church in Albuquerque. Got it. Right. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was in 09. We went on a second trip with you in 2012. That's right. Uh, three years later. So, so it was about a six year process from that point on that first um, vision trip to the time that we actually got to the field. Yep. And that was preparing with our local church. Yep. That's great. Something else, Zach, um, I think this is interesting. So neither Meredith or I were in this part of the world uh, when we were both serving overseas previously as missionaries when we were single. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you hear a lot of times people say, oh, I have a heart for this people group, or I have a heart for this part of the world, or I feel called to this part of the world. And we were, we were just plugged into a, a God-loving Bible-teaching church, and the eldership there said, look, our, our church wants to, to work among this uh, people group and to pour our resources into this one area. Mm-hmm. And so we said, sounds great. The gospel's not there. There's not an actively reproducing church. Um, and entrusting that God would grow in our hearts uh, a desire to love and serve and see uh, this people come to know him. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So it sounds like, Meredith, for you, it, it was on the radar for a while. Um, you know, and then, Aaron, you just kind of, it happened through being in a church that was teaching God's glory and and people praying about this, and then you got an opportunity to go, and the Lord just did stuff in your heart when you were on a short-term trip. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it had been on my heart before. I mean, I'd been overseas, but it was just like, man, PT school is uh, three years plus a year of undergrad, yep. years of paying off student loan debt. It's just, it's just not the thing that's in the, the immediate future. So I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. That makes um, sense. But, but God was kind and, and closed the circle. Can you guys uh, paint the picture of church planting where you guys are? And I know it's been a few years now. Um, how has that worked? Uh, what has been beautiful about it? What's been hard about it? Bring us into the journey of church planting in your context. Um, I laughed when you asked the question because the first word that comes to my mind is messy. It's mm-hmm. so messy mm-hmm. and hard and complicated. Um, so and yeah, so- give us some of those details because I think it's important for people to know uh, how yeah. we can pray for you and and why it's complicated in your context and all that. Yeah. So the actual work of church planning that we do is just um, sharing the gospel with friends, with neighbors, with um, anyone we meet. We try to um, at first let them know that we're a believer and then see where the conversation goes. As uh, relationships develop and grow, we're able to share more and more of the gospel with them. Um, for the past two years, two-ish years, um, we have been meeting with a local, 
a group of local believers. None of them are people who have come to faith through any of our personal witness, but they're just believers that have been identified in our city. Um, so we have been meeting with a group of three local believers for the past two years. And um, we pray together in Arabic, sing together, um, and our teammate, Cody um, teaches a sermon in Arabic. We talk about it, and that that's kind of what our Sundays look like with them. Um, and I, I just say that it's messy because the issues are, they're just so complex. Like trying to understand the gospel through someone else's culture and all of the what am I trying to say? Like how they interpret scripture through their culture is just so complicated sometimes. Um, or knowing how to speak truth into a situation that just feels so culturally complicated um, is, is really difficult at times. Or even knowing I know how to encourage an American sister in Christ. What does that look like for an Arab? I, I don't know if what I'm trying to communicate that would work in my culture is actually being communicated and received as encouragement. Um, how do I walk alongside someone who, whose family is threatening to marry her off to a Muslim because she refuses to get married? Like. Mm -hmm. I, I've never walked through any of those struggles. Um, and so I believe that the Bible is sufficient to allow me to walk with her in those trials. But personally, I've never gone through anything even remotely like it. Um, so it, it's, I think at the end of the day, like Aaron said earlier, we're just all sinners. So we're sinners meeting with Arab sinners, all redeemed by grace, and trying to love and encourage one another through it. I think there's some challenges because um, the, the people we meet with um, have been believers for some time. Um, there's been exposure to uh, teaching that is is not great, and so there's there's some ideas that that we would say need to be. They need to be discipled in, they need to be taught, they need to be raised up in. Mm -hmm. So trying to, you know, not having necessarily a clear idea what all of those things are. And, and sometimes those pop up and like, oh, we need to revisit that later and, and talk about that and explore scripture together. Um, I think too, uh, like, like Meredith alluded to, some of, the, some of the challenges that they face as believers um, are just, they're just so much greater as far as like physical, physical consequences or relational consequences being cast what was, what away. Some of those, yeah. Describe what those might be for a, a native believer. Yeah. So like maybe like one of the, one of the people who, who we meet with uh, their, their family has said has basically sworn them off and they haven't had contact with, with their, their blood family for. So being years, ostracized from, from biological family. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and in this culture too, a lot of, a lot of your, um, your, your ability in society comes through family relationships. So right. you want to get a job that comes through maybe not direct family, but direct family hooks you up with somebody they know. Right. And so if, if that's cut out from under you, the ability to 
find work, to find work that will support your family. Um, well, all of us are connected in relationships and so much of anybody's quote success in life is connected to relationships. Mm -hmm. And if you've got the scarlet letter of conversion in a, mm -hmm. in a Muslim culture, you can see how that would deteriorate at your relationships. And if that happens, you know, it's just hard to succeed in life. I mean, that's, that's unique suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like maybe you're yeah. ostracized from your family. Are there other things that you guys see? Um, definitely ostracism. I would say every believer we know of has walked through uh, very varying degrees of ostracism from family. We've had um, women who have been, you know, their family is trying to marry them off basically against their will to a mm -hmm. Muslim. Um, just even... What? One, one was uh, afraid that her, her brother would kill her if he found out she were a believer, she was a believer, mm -hmm. um, because he was so devout with his, his uh, Islamic faith. Um, so fear, fear for life, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's heavy stuff to disciple a believer through. Like, um, I mean, suffering's promised to, to, to Christ's disciples, but like you said earlier, you don't want to throw yourself off the bridge to trust God. Right. So how, how do we encourage her biblically? What does that look like? Well, to... Thankfully, there's so much data biblically that you can draw on. And it's just us yeah. as Americans who are like shocked at this story, but it's like, it seems like biblically, that's not that strange, right? Right. right. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of where we fall back to with this one lady in particular is your your suffering is not unique. Um, this happens all over the world to all kinds of Christians. We have um, fellowship with Christ through our sufferings. Amen. Um, and just really calling her in in particular to really focus on like the promise is in first Peter of the inheritance that is saved up for us. That is undefiled, um, imperishable waiting for us in heaven guarded by, by God himself. Um, Amen. and just really calling her to fix her eyes on those things that are true and certain. Um, yeah. I remember one time she was, we were at church and she was in the middle of a family crisis and she was saying, there was this girl in Saudi Arabia and she came out as a Christian and do you know what happened? Her family drowned her. And I said to her, and so then what happened to her? <laughs> and she said, she died. And I said, but then what happened? And she just stared at me and I said, she's in heaven. Like, is, is that an awful way to die? Yes. Do any of us want that to happen? No, of course not. But the truth is now she's in a better place. She is rejoicing in heaven and we shouldn't be afraid of death because joy waits for us. Die is gain. Yeah. And so that's really hard and humbling to say as this privileged American, like, I don't have a brother that's going to kill me for being a Christian, right. but it's still truth that needs to be spoken to yep. her. And, and that's really yeah. challenging at times, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that there's, you know, yeah, just, we hear these stories and they sound so shocking to our ears from where I sit as a American in Madison in 2020. And 
it's not shocking in the Bible though. Mm-mm. From cover to cover, it's, it's not shocking. So then I have to ask myself, why is my experience so distinct from the experience that I read about in the Bible? Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. Have you guys heard of a book called The Insanity of God? Yeah. Have you guys read that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We read that out loud um, as a family a year or so ago. And I recommend that book to a lot of people um, just as a a means to be encouraged by the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us all throughout the world and um, where what you guys are doing is not that strange and what your friends are enduring is not that strange and Mm -hmm. it was very humbling for us to read that as a family i recommend it to a lot a lot of people yeah that's an excellent book we read it before we moved here Mm -hmm. well you guys it's been an absolute joy to connect with you um i wanted to just maybe ask one more question if you're willing to share about it uh aaron i know you've gone through some hard stuff emotionally in the last few months. Um, how are you doing with that? How are you processing that? Is that something you want to chat about? Sure. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm doing well right now. Um, what I've found is, um, when I, when I take my eyes off of my, when I say my eyes, when I take off my intentional focus and actively engaging my thoughts on truth and scripture of who God is, of who I am, of how he loves me, when I stop remembering with thanksgiving all that he has done for me and all that he continues to do for me, it's very easy uh, for sin to creep up, right? To start feeling self-pity, uh, to, to start, um, self-pity is a big one for me. I, I really have to fight against poor Aaron, poor me. And, and from the full, full gamut of topics, uh, that sin will, will rear its head with. And so, um, having to actively repent of that, right. And be looking for that and saying, God, I, I recognize that this is my tendency. This is my heart's natural inclination. Um, and that you don't want that to be like that. This is not my heart being conformed to the image of Christ. And so will you change that? And, and yeah. humbling myself before God, just confessing that, yep. um, investing that to Meredith, confessing that to friends in the States, trying to bring that sin to light. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think the combination of um, trying to actively confess and, and repent and turn from that sin while actively practicing uh, Thanksgiving and having a thankful heart and being mindful of all of uh, God's riches towards me in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. um, that is a, a good uh, medicine for the soul. Um, and, and, and I find that when I, when I am actively engaged in those pursuits, joy is there. I mean, God is so kind in providing it. Yep. Um, and when I, when I, when I let off the accelerator, so to speak, uh, it's so easy to slip out of that place of joy, um, and, and into a, a more of a, a place of, of sad, of sadness being sullen. Yeah. I, I just think it's so good to be reminded that it's not like you guys quote, got yourself all together and then stepped out in faith to follow God in this call that you have overseas. It's like, no, you guys are normal people, just like us problems, 
you know, I have emotional problems. I have bad days. I have lies that I can be tempted to believe and feelings that are not consistent with the truth. I have that. You guys have that. Um, and you are just trusting the Lord that he's going to provide in the midst of this sense of call that you have, but it's not like you had to get it all together and then you're all of a sudden ready to, to be sent out. Now that doesn't mean that we don't work on preparation. You guys worked on preparation for multiple years, so we're not talking recklessness with that, but it's, and there probably would be a scenario where we'd be like, well, you know, it's probably time to maybe not live where you live anymore. You know, and just like for me, if I tank with anxiety and depression, um, God forbid that were to happen, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to do my job either. But for the most part, we move forward in the midst of our frailties and limitations. And it's, I think it's fairly biblical that God tends to work in the midst of that kind of environment. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think too. You know, it's the Bible never says that life is all unicorns and daisies, right? What? And, uh, <laughs> I thought and, I had that verse memorized. Yeah, second second opinions, so right? Anyway. Yep. Um, I think sometimes the process of sanctification uh, it, it hurts because we're we're um, putting the old man to death, and um, God God uses uh, or has used for me cross cultural living. Um, to get rid of a lot of pride, right? I can't I can't speak like an educated forty yep. year old. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know how things work. I, I can't go to the hardware store and ask for a simple, you know, gadget that I need for something in the house. Um, There's just a humility, humbling that comes with that, and um, I think that is, is challenging sometimes. But again, I think God has. I know that God has good plans through those things for me. So, Amen. Well, maybe we could just end on a lighter note because that just jogged my memory of a story I've heard you tell of the uh, the joy of language learning. And when you went into the Hanut and and you were asking for the certain product, can you tell that story, Aaron? Yeah. So we were we were in country maybe uh, six weeks, yeah, a month, two months, and we ran out of dish soap to wash dishes with. And um, most things you buy here are from like little neighborhood convenience stores. They're called Hanuts. And um, Meredith said, oh, it's, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like, it got a K and an F in it. And uh, so just go and see if you can buy some, some soap. And there's a vowel. I don't remember if it's I or E, but it's K something F. So I go to the Hanu and I'm, I'm asking the guy um, if he has Keef. And he's just looking at me with this perplexed look. And so I'm repeating it over and over. And I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to use my month of language learning to say, you know, you use it in the kitchen, you use it with your cup and your plate and your bowl and you use it to wash a fork and a spoon. You know, I've learned kitchen utensils. So I'm using those words. And I'm like, I want to use the keef to, to wash my dishes. Do you have keef? <laughs> and I'm on, a, I'm on a kind of pretty busy street. And so I, I look around and I notice there uh, is a small crowd that's kind of gathered around and they're all staring at me. And it's clear something is not working because the guy's not giving me the soap. And so I just bail. I'm like, I got to get out of here. So you just bolt. cut down a. Yeah, just bolt. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> and, As the uh, crowd is for me. Yes, I'm sweating. I can feel my face turning red. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I know I'm saying something wrong. I don't know what. And so um, I, I go down a smaller street where there's not as many people and I find another Hanu. And this this time, this one's open. So I can actually go into the Hanu 
And I'm like, I want to buy this. And I'm able to point right at it. So the mm-hmm. guy gives it to me. And I ask him, what, what do you call this? He says, Kef. Kef. And um, come to find out later that Keef is, uh, you know, it's, it's marijuana. <laughs> I'm standing on this public street asking, do you have any marijuana? I need some marijuana. I, I want to wash my dishes with marijuana. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, and it's illegal here too, right? So there's multiple levels of... of uh, yeah, conservative Muslim culture, and you're asking for weed. You got some weed, yeah. And just being overt about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing to hide, just going for it. <laughs> no shame. That's a classic. Everybody who learns a foreign language has um, has stories like that. I just think that's a that's a great story. So yeah. thank you for allowing us to uh, enjoy your humiliation, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing that one up. <laughs> Well, you guys, thank you so much for for joining us. This is a huge help to our church, and we love you guys, and we pray for you guys, and um, we just want you to know that your labor is not in vain, and we're praying for the time when we can bring another small team over. Don't know when that will be, but hopefully COVID will fall by the wayside sooner than later, and we'll be able to see you guys in person. Yeah, Yeah, Zach, we are so thankful for you guys. You have... As a, as a church, been so incredibly generous uh, towards our work here, uh, financially helping support our therapy center. You guys uh, sent an amazing, uh, generous gift this past year yep. with the annual trips uh, where you come out and you pour into our kids' lives, into our marriage and our team relationships. Um, we're just we're so incredibly thankful for uh, the Vine and uh, for your leadership of the church there, and, and for so many of the members who we've had the privilege. Uh, of meeting and, and getting to know uh, here and, and also there in Madison as we've traveled out there in the summer. So thank you guys. Well, hopefully you'll be with us maybe next summer. Yeah, God willing. Love it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. 